You can go ahead and be seated. As you're seated, reach for your Bibles or your smartphone and pull up the 23rd Psalm. It's going to be right in the middle of your Bible. Um, You can also pull up your Journey app and take notes that way, or you can reach inside the bulletin that was given to you, um, and and you'll be able to follow along as we go. If you're brand new, first time ever in church, uh, and you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. Everything I read from the Bible will be on the screens. We anticipated you being here. We're glad that you're here. If you have a smartphone, download the Bible app at some point. It's free, really easy to find stuff in the Bible. We'd love for you to have that so you can follow along. If you'd like a real paper Bible, find us after church. We'd love to figure out how to put one of those in your hands. We are all month long in a series at Journey in the 23rd Psalm called The Shepherd. We're going to look at God, our shepherd, through the life of Jesus our Savior. It's going to take us all the way up to our Christmas services. We have six of those, Thursday, December 22 at 7, Friday at 5 and 7, and then Christmas Eve at 2, 4, and 6. Listen closely. Let me say something you may or may not be aware of. The Chiefs play at home at noon on Christmas Eve against the Seahawks. Some of you are going to forget that until Christmas Eve. You're going to plan to come to church, and then God is going to tell you you should stay home and watch the game. We added the Thursday service for those of you like me. I'm just going to be honest. If, if I was planning for my family and not for my church family, I would come on Thursday and Friday because Christmas Eve with the Chiefs is a pretty good day for me with my family to celebrate Christmas Eve. I'd probably say, come over for the game. We'll open gifts and have dinner after the game. I probably wouldn't do church on Christmas Eve if I could do it on Thursday or Friday. So figure out when you and your family are going to come. You can find all the information about the services at a website, christmasatjci.com. And let me say this, don't come alone. Statistics have been done that tell us this. Please tune in for the next 60 seconds. 80% of people in your life who never go to church want to go to church at Christmas, and they wish someone would invite them. Eight out of 10 people in our country who never go to church want to go to church at Christmas. They see everyone else doing it in their life. They just don't know which one to choose. They don't know how it goes. They don't want to sit by themselves. If you have a friend in your life who you've been trying to figure out how to introduce to Jesus, there's an 80% chance they will come with you to a Christmas service. There's a 100% chance I will tell them about Jesus, and then we'll just trust what God is going to do. But please leverage this Christmas season to bring somebody with you because people, believe it or not, want to come to church. They just don't know where to go, and they don't want to go by themselves. So please don't come alone. We're entering an incredible season in December, learning the 23rd Psalm. Um, one of the most famous chapters in the Bible, the 23rd Psalm will probably be something that someone will read at your funeral. Sadly, this text of scripture is so well known because of how present it is when people die. That one little line in there that, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're with me, makes it a great piece of scripture to read at funerals to say God is going to be with you. However, this is not a death psalm. This is a life psalm. And even though God is with you in the valley of the shadow of death, there's so many more places in the shadows and in the spotlights of life that God is with you. And we're going to pull those out of this psalm over the next three weeks together before we get to our Christmas services at Journey. Um, About 50 years ago, a pastor in the upper northwest, every Sunday used to take the scripture And he used to try to put it in his own words so that his very unchurched congregation could get the spirit of what Jesus was trying to say. 
It took him about 15 years to rewrite, as a paraphrase, almost all of the Bible so that his people could capture the spirit of it. But after 15 years of just one day at a time putting out devotionals, he decided to publish not a translation of the Bible, but a paraphrase of the Bible called the Message Version. His name was Pastor Eugene Peterson, and his goal was to help his people take the English kind of spiritual words of the Bible and make them very practical for people. The message version is not a a version that I tell people they should study for Bible study because it's a paraphrase, really not a translation. But every now and then, if you want to capture the heart of what an author's trying to say, you can go to the message version and say, what might this sound like rolling off somebody's lips if they wrote it for the first time in 2022? As we enter the 23rd Psalm, I want to read you the first three verses in Eugene's Peter, Eugene Peterson's message version because I think he captures the spirit of David when he says this, God, my shepherd, I don't need a thing. You've bedded me down in lush meadows. You find quiet pools to drink from. True to your word, you let me catch my breath and you send me in the right direction. You know, the backdrop of this psalm in 2022 is fascinating. David is not trying to record a tweet that will go viral, even though this would have done that. Nor was he trying to write a poem that would get published, although that happened as well. He was just writing in his journal who God was and what he needed God to be to him in this moment. This, if you think of the the words, catch my breath, this warrior king of Israel was literally pausing in this moment to go back to his childlike faith, and he was asking God to recenter his life and his focus and his priorities around his connection to God. We think about David as the young boy who killed Goliath, and he was, and then this great military general who literally birthed a nation, and he was, and this great king who kind of set up a country for the first time, and he was, but not when he was writing this psalm. When he was writing this psalm, he was the truest David that he'd ever been. He went back to his childlike faith. Not his first job, but his first chores for his dad, sitting out in the pasture being a shepherd. And he started thinking about how God had always been that to him. Let me ask you a question. If you could only use one word to describe how you see God, what would that word be? Because David's on this day, was the word shepherd. And all month long, we're going to see how God can be a shepherd by studying the writings of David, who went back to a childlike faith and saw God for everything that God was. We're going to start in the first three verses today. That's going to be our text for today. Every week, we'll just walk through this until we get to Christmas Eve. David says this, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Today we're going to look very specifically at the role of God as a shepherd in the life of a follower of Jesus. And we're going to learn three things very specifically. First, we're going to see that the the thought of a personal God is a powerful thought. This this meditation that David has, that he has a personal God, a personal God is a powerful thought. It's interesting because David actually uses two words 
Not as many as the English uses. In some of your Bibles, the word is in Psalm 23.1 might be italicized, which means it wasn't really there in the Hebrew. In the Hebrew, it was just two words, and those two words were Jehovah Ra'ah. Jehovah Ra'ah. The word Jehovah means the God who exists and who's been revealed. That's what Jehovah means. Jehovah is this concept that they're not only is a God in the universe behind the universe. But he has introduced himself to us. That's what Jehovah means. Jehovah means there is a God who exists, who has shown up and introduced himself. Ra'ah means he is my companion and my friend. David says, when I think about life, Jehovah, I know that there's a God. The world we live in, the universe that we dwell in, the things that I see happen, there's no doubt that God exists. And if he exists and if we're here, he certainly would want to reveal himself to us. And he has revealed himself to us as a God who wants to be our companion and our friend. Jehovah Ra'ah, the Lord, my shepherd, the God of the universe who knows and loves me. That's how David saw God. How do you see God? You know, it's interesting. There are more than a dozen proper names of God in the Old Testament that are Jehovah something else. Of those more than a dozen names, the term shepherd, Ra'ah, is by far the most intimate name for God that is used in the Old Testament. And it's actually only used by two people. Only two people in the 39 books of the Hebrew Bible that we call the Old Testament refer to God as their shepherd. Two other times God is referred to as the shepherd of Israel, but only two men say God is my shepherd. And the things they have in common might surprise you. The two men who use that phrase, Jacob, whose granddaddy was Abraham, and David in the 23rd Psalm. The very first time we see this term used in Scripture is in Genesis chapter 48. And let me say this, it'll sound like a bit of a riddle, but it's not. It's odd to see a shepherd in Genesis 48 call God a shepherd after the life that he had lived, but that's what happens. In Genesis 48, we meet a shepherd named Jacob who calls God his shepherd, and he knows what that means, especially after the life that he had lived up to that point. In Genesis chapter 48, Jacob is on his deathbed and he's giving a blessing to his sons and his grandsons about who his God has been to him and who he hopes his God will be to his grandkids. And he says this in Genesis 48, 15, May the God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd, Not only the first time in the Old Testament that God is referred to as my shepherd, the only other time outside of 23.1, Psalm 23.1, that God is referred to as my shepherd. The God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from harm, may he bless these boys. Some of you who don't have an extensive faith background or maybe a really good knowledge of the scriptures would think, of course people who've been blessed by God, of course people who feel like God showed up every day of their life. Of course, people who have been protected by God would say that God is their shepherd. But Christian, that's not been my story. That was not Jacob's story. As a matter of fact, it's interesting that the only two guys who call God their shepherd, Jacob and David, they've got a lot of turmoil in their story. And they're very, very similar in their stories. They both were raised in families where there there was more than conflict. There was hatred between them and their siblings. 
Both of them were raised in a family where they had constant conflict with their siblings. Both of them married into families that they would be completely estranged from. Their in-laws hated them and vice versa. Both of them would go through a bad marriage that did not end up making it the way they thought their marriage would make it. One of them would lose a wife in childbirth. The other one would lose a child very near the day of his birth. Both of them had a teenage daughter who ended up getting raped. And both of them lived more than 20 years of their life on the run from people who should have been taking care of them and instead were trying to destroy them. That's their story. And after that life, Jacob says, when I look back, God was always there. See, some of you think if you have the charm Christian life, it's easy to say God's always there. But when the marriage fails or the relative dies or things go bad relationally or you lose your job or it feels like you're being unfairly punished as a consequence to some way, you say, on those, where's God on those days? Jacob said he was on every one of those days with me. It's interesting. This is a, just a sampling of who the Old Testament says God will be for us, a shepherd. Yet, in the New Testament, when Jesus shows up, Jesus says, I am going to be your shepherd. So the Old Testament only twice refers to God as somebody's personal shepherd, yet here comes Jesus, and Jesus promises that he will be the shepherd to his followers. If Psalm 23 has a sister text in the New Testament, it's John chapter 10. And in John chapter 10, Jesus speaks very specifically of himself being a shepherd. If you want to memorize a verse this week without having to put much effort into it, John 10, 11 says this, I am the good shepherd. You're welcome. Cross that one off your list. You memorized a verse for the week. John 10, 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. You say, well then, well, then he'll make sure that only good things happen to me. If he's a shepherd and if he's good and I am his sheep, then my life should be good. Not so fast. Because we find out that before Jesus was a shepherd, he was a sheep. He's referred to as a lamb in Revelation 7. In Revelation 7, we're given a vision of the end times of the world from a spiritual perspective. And very specifically in Romans chapter 7, we're introduced to people who have been martyred for their faith. They've been killed because of their belief and connection to Jesus. And they ask God a question in Revelation 7. God, how long? How long are we going to have to wait before you punish the people who punished us for our faith. And we read a verse about Jesus that calls him both a sheep and a shepherd. Revelation 7, 17 says, For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. The sheep will become a shepherd. And he'll lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Please listen to the reality of what David is saying about God as your shepherd. Often God does not lead you to the tribulation that comes in your life, but every time he will lead you through the tribulation that comes to your life. Because listen to the reality of God as a shepherd. You will never in your life experience something that Jesus did not experience, and you will never in your life experience what you're experiencing alone if Jesus is your Savior. You'll never go through anything he did not go through, and you'll never go through it alone if you see him as your shepherd. So we see this massively powerful thought that Jesus is always with me, which leads David to respond, if that's true, then I shall not want. 
Like if Jesus is really with me on every day of my life, it radically changes my perspective. If Jesus is with me and Jesus is for me and Jesus is guiding me and Jesus went through what I'm going through and Jesus has not left me alone, like I'm going to be okay. If you're going through something spiritually today that makes you think I'm not okay, I know one of the spiritual reasons. You don't believe Jesus is your shepherd. Because when Jehovah Ra'ah, I shall not one. When Jehovah Ra'ah, I'm going to be okay. It might not be okay, but I will be okay. It's what Jacob says. It's what David says. Number two, we see that when we understand Jesus as a shepherd, we understand that Jesus leads us away from death by leading us to himself. Jesus leads us away from death and the things that cause spiritual death by leading us to himself. Where is that? Verse 2. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. Verse 2, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Here's what you need to know. We're going to have to go to Israel to see this verse because this verse looks and sounds far different in the Judean desert than it does in the American mind. When I read this verse as an American... Let me tell you what I see. My favorite place in the world are the mountains of Colorado. Uh, while I don't have my 2023 trip booked yet, if the Lord allows and time and money open up, I will figure out how to spend 72 hours in the mountain of Colorado sliding down snow on something attached to my legs. That would be my goal every winter. And if I can, I'll drive out to Colorado because I love to drive through the Flint Hills of central Kansas. I really love that drive during the summer because it's just beautiful. Literally, for it appears hundreds of miles, the prairie stretches out like you can see why when they were settled in America, they got there and thought, this is awesome. It's just beautiful. When I read this verse, that's what I see. Hundreds of miles of prairie. That is not what the Judean desert looked like in Bethlehem and Jerusalem, the tribes of Judah and Benjamin where David grew up. Instead, I want you to think more like, like the only place in America I've been to that resembles the Judean desert is Las Vegas. I was in Las Vegas a couple months ago, and I was jogging, and while I was jogging, like everything was so dead in the desert, there wasn't even a cactus growing. And I thought, this reminds me of Judea. This looks like Israel. Now, someone in the first service said, um, why were you in Israel, or why were you in Vegas? And I said, it's none of your business. And he said, preachers shouldn't say they were in Vegas without telling people why they were in Vegas. So I'll tell you, it was none of your business. But I, like, I, didn't, do any, I didn't do anything that you would be upset or ashamed of. I've I, I did more jogging than anything else. Um, but the, des- the Judean desert, listen, had no pastures or water. Which means this verse doesn't mean that if I have Jesus, I'm born into this comfortable life where I have everything. It actually means the opposite. This verse through the lens of a Judean shepherd means this. The place that I was born into is broken and it's bare and it's dry. And it does not sustain life or give life. But there is someone who knows where something better is. And if I connect to him, he will connect me to that. That's what this verse means. That when I begin to follow the shepherd, not I'm born into ease, but I live in brokenness, but I follow Jesus to life. That's what it means. That's why in John 10, this parallel chapter, Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, I'm the gate for the sheep. I'm the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in. They will go out and they will find pasture. 
You are going to be born into a place that is broken and bare and dry and unsustainable in your life. And you may actually go back to bed there every day. You may go to work there every day. But if you keep circling around to Jesus, you will find those spots of pasture. You will find those little trickles of stream in the desert that nobody even knows exists but the shepherd. And he will make sure one day at a time to get you to the pastures and the water. And then you'll go back to your broken life, living in your broken community, working your broken job, probably working for your broken boss. But Jesus says, every day you can come out and go by me. And when you do that, you're going to get refreshment for your soul. That's the picture of what the shepherd does for us. And what we learn is that Jesus brings us out of places that cannot bring us life. Jesus leads us away from voices that promise only what Jesus can accomplish. Because I don't know if you've noticed it, but life is really noisy. And life makes a lot of promises that it not only cannot keep, but it does not keep. So it's why scriptures tell us in places like Psalm 4610, just be still and know that I'm God. Quiet waters. Jesus said, you got to get away from the noise. You got to get away from the noise every now and then so that you can get with me because I will bring you life. I love Galatians 1.10, Paul asking the church of Galatia, like, who am I living for? He's like, am I trying to please men or am I trying to please God? Because if I'm still trying to please men, I cannot be a servant of God. Like some of you are trying to figure out what voice you're going to listen to to have the life that you want to have. You got some people in your ear, some parents in your ear, some grandparents in your ear, a boss in your ear, a friend in your ear, a neighbor in your ear, a coworker in your ear, a teammate in your ear, a student in your ear, a, a teacher in your ear saying like, here's the way to life, here's the way to life, here's the way to life, here's the way to life. And Jesus said, no, 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 I know the way to life. And I got to get you away from all the voices that are telling you there is a way to life that's not through me. We got we to gotta calm things down a little bit. You know, the only problem, one of the only problems with listening to human voices give us the target of what life really is, is they keep changing the target. Like what they believe life is in 2022 will look different in 2032, and they'll throw it at you from every angle that they can. They'll tweet it. They'll Instagram it. They'll Facebook it. They'll TikTok it. It'll be on the evening news and the morning news and whatever else. Like it's going it's to be everywhere. And as soon as you accomplish what they say will bring you what only Jesus can bring you, they'll change the equation and say, but you need one thing more. The apostle Paul showed up in Ephesus in Acts chapter 17, and it says he went to a group of guys that were around the water cooler, and he knew he could tell them about Jesus because their whole lives, all they did was stand and talk about new things they had learned. That is the America we live in. Every day we're trying to find new things to bring us what only Jesus says he can bring us. If you can find everything Jesus offers without him, go for it. But it doesn't exist. That's why we need the shepherd. And life in Jesus does not consist of him liking us so much that he doesn't run from us. Life in Jesus does not consist in us being really, really good people. Life in Jesus exists in him being a really, really gracious God. We become alive in our relationship with Jesus not because he believes we're really good people, but because we believe he is really, really gracious. I want to show you how this looks in the life of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 19. He's writing to the church at Corinth about how much Jesus has changed his life and how much he has experienced Jesus. But then he says, and it ain't because I'm any good. It's because he's really gracious. 
He says in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 15, I'm the least of the apostles, and I shouldn't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He's like, God has done so much for me, and I have not deserved a bit of it, and really I shouldn't even be called a Christian because I was a really bad one. Verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. What's Paul saying? I don't even deserve to be called a Christian. The only reason I am is because of God's grace. But that grace has been changing me. That grace is changing me, and I'm a different person. And if I think about who I am and what I've done, I realize I'm not good enough. But if I lean into Jesus, there I find rest. Notice in Psalm 23, too, that both pastures and waters are plural. It's not a one-time deal where you rest in Jesus. You don't become a Christian and all of a sudden you have rest in Jesus. Literally, every time you need rest, you return to Jesus. Watch how this works. You're going to go through something between now and the end of the year. If not in the last few days of 2022, between now and the end of 2023, you're going to go through something that leaves you broken as a consequence to what someone else has done to you. On that day, the only answer is to go to Jesus because his grace will hold you up. Now watch this. You are also going to do something by the end of this year, definitely by the next, end of next year, that breaks your... You're going to do something that offends and hurts Jesus. And you're going to realize if our relationship depends on me, I guess it's over. It doesn't. It depends on him and its grace. Every time you need pasture, every time you need waters, every time you thirst spiritually, the answer is go back to Jesus. He gives it to you not because of who you are, but because of who he is. He gives it to you not because of how well you loved him, but because of how much he loves you. Amen? Like, see the difference. That is the grace of Jesus. So the green pastures are Jesus. The still waters are Jesus. But my favorite point of the message is the last one, number three, when we look at the role of God as shepherd... We realize that the death of Jesus leads dirtbags to come alive for the glory of God. If you haven't noticed yet, the title of our Bible study today at the top of your notes is Dirtbags. You're going to understand that real clearly in a minute. And just in case you're not real clear yet, yes, I am calling you a dirtbag. Why? You'll understand it in a minute. It'll make perfect and even theological sense. What's verse 3 says? Verse 3 says that he, the shepherd, restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, when you look at this verse, and usually when you teach scripture, you teach it the way it's written. And this verse has three segments, A, B, and C. It has an A part, a B part, and a C part. And maybe if we grew up in Israel 3,000 years ago, we would understand it, A, B, and C. But I'm going to have to teach it B, A, C for us to understand how Jesus is the great shepherd. Let's start in part B of the verse, paths of righteousness. Here's what you need to understand scripturally and today. The footpaths that the shepherd and the sheep of Israel kept are so clearly marked still today that 3,000 years later you can still walk on them. The footpaths that the shepherd and the sheep kept to get from pasture to pasture, water to water through the Judean desert are so clearly marked that you can walk on them today. Let me give you an example. The first place we ever go when we get to Israel I'll do it in June when we take our teenagers on their trip, our next-gen trip, our teens and college kids. I'll do it in November when we take our church trip. First, we land from the airport, we get on our bus, we go to the Valley of Elah where David killed Goliath. You get down in the middle of this beautiful valley, and there's a little bluff you can climb up on to take incredible pictures. Around the side of this bluff that's very steep, they've poured a 
very loose dust and gravel road that's big enough for a car to drive up, but it's very steep, it's very loose, it's very dangerous. I've never taken anyone there who has not fallen on the way up or on the way down this path. So we stand at the bottom, we do our Bible teaching and say, now the best pictures are up there, but if you want to go up there, you got to go up this path. Now it's very dangerous, hopefully you've all signed an insurance waiver, someone will fall, someone always falls, someone always falls, but if you want to go up and come back down, um, we'll, we'll give you an hour to walk up there, steep climb, you're usually sweating like crazy, you fall in a time or two, you're a little dirty, but you get this incredible panorama of the Valley of Elah where David killed Goliath. I think on my fifth trip to Israel, I was going through this routine again. Our guide on that trip was a man named Ari, who was 76 years old, who fought in the Six-Day War with the Israeli army. And I give my spiel at the bottom, and our group goes up the hill, and we're slipping and sliding, and we're dirty and dusty, and some people are bleeding. And like 30 minutes later, we arrive at the top of the bluff, and Ari is already there with his arms crossed. And I said, how'd you do that? How'd you get, how did you, how'd you get up here? 76 years old, how'd you get up here? And he said, I took the shepherd's path. And I said, where is the shepherd's path? And he began to point out to me rocks on the side of the hill that zigzagged, painted with a white, a blue, and an orange stripe. And I said, what is that? And he said, that is the Israel Trail. It stretches from the Red Sea to the northernmost point of Dan, 650 miles long. And he said, you can hike the entire country of Israel on it. These are the ancient paths of the shepherds. And I thought, first, why didn't somebody tell me this five times ago before I paid a couple medical bills? Second... That is awesome. That is awesome to think that I might be zigzagging on the paths of the shepherd and their sheep and that I can do that across the entire country of Israel, 650 miles from the Gulf of Aqaba all the way up to Dan. That would be, for those of you who are hiking people, consider taking 60 days of your life at some point to go walk over Israel. I'll help set it up for you if you want to do that. It was incredible to look at the ancient paths What David is saying is that there is a path that is clearly marked to righteousness. Now, to understand what that means, we first have to understand what righteousness means. Righteousness means this, having a right standing with God or a good standing with God. Maybe to put it another way, it would mean this. You're good with God. To put it another way, it would mean this. You have satisfied all the requirements God has for your life to be connected to him. You say, what are the requirements? You just have to be perfect and totally sinless. You're like... If that's righteousness, then no no one's righteous. If to be okay, if to have a right standing with God, if to be good with God, if if, if to satisfy God enough to have a relationship with him, I have to be perfect and sinless, then there is no path to righteousness. Well, not that you can earn. Yeah, it's exactly what it means. But when we look at scripture and we look at our shepherd, we learn that the path to righteousness is the cross of Jesus Christ credited to us as payment for our sin. Remember our partner chapter, John chapter 10? In John chapter 10, verses 11 through 18, Jesus says five times, I lay down my life for my sheep. This is our only path to satisfying God's requirement. Jesus laid down his life so his sheep could clearly follow the path that connected them to God on his standards. It's an unbelievable picture of Jesus when you read Psalm 23 through the lens of what Jesus has done for us. It's why I say, point number three, that the death of Jesus allows dirtbags to come alive to the glory of God. 
You say, why do you keep saying that? Look at the next part of the verse. I'm going to start it, go back to A now. It says that the shepherd restores our soul. The word in the Hebrew language there literally is the word to reanimate or to fill up with something. It's the picture of God blowing up something that's lifeless and needs to be inflated. And it is undoubtedly a picture of Genesis 1 and 2 and how God made his people come alive. It says that God formed out of the ground humanity and he put them together and he created a perfect body out of what? Dirt. And it was just a dirt bag until God blew the breath of life in it and then it came to life. I was reading in my quiet time this week Ezekiel chapter 37, which is a prophecy of Ezekiel telling the nation of Israel, it's going to be okay, you're going to come back. God takes him to this valley that's filled with dried, dead bones. And he asks Ezekiel, can these bones become people that are living again? Ezekiel's like, only you know the answer to that. God said, tell them to come together. So Ezekiel prophesied, dry bones come together. And they came together, bone to bone, joint to joint, ligament to ligament. They were covered with flesh, but they were, they were just dirt bags. They were still there. And God said, Ezekiel, can they live? Can they live and accomplish the mission of God? And Ezekiel's like, I don't know. Only you know that. And God said, tell them to come to life. Prophesy, son of man, for the breath of heaven to fill their lungs. So Ezekiel prophesies in these dirt bags come to life, and they accomplish the mission of God. Some of you have had the opportunity, like me, to be in a room with someone who, in the moment where they pass from life to death, and you know that life is not in the physical body, because it's crazy how quick a soul is gone, even when the body remains. We are dirt bags, but when we are filled with the Spirit of God. We come alive. And what we need to learn from this message is life with Jesus keeps dirt bags alive, but only if we stay connected to the source of the Spirit. Life with Jesus, the breath of heaven, makes these dirt bags come to life. I love the term dirt bag. I'm a huge college sports fan, college football mostly, but every now and then I dabble in college baseball and college basketball because I love the pageantry of college sports. Why I love Long Beach State. Anyone know the nickname of the Long Beach State University baseball team? They're the dirtbags. Long Beach State dirtbags. Their jerseys say dirtbags. I had Danielle buy me a Long Beach State University hooded sweatshirt for Christmas that'll be under the tree that she doesn't know about yet because I bought it from myself, to myself from her, Um, Because I wanted to be reminded of this message forever. I thought, I want to remember that I'm a dirt bag. But with Jesus, I'm alive. I want to remember I'm a dirt, like I'm just a dirt bag. But with Jesus, I'm alive. And some of you are saying, then why do I not feel alive? I think the best thing I can do is give you an illustration of this Hebrew word. The Hebrew word animate literally is an object with no life in it until breath comes. And here's why so many of you who are Jesus followers feel empty all the time. Because you come into church on Sunday morning, the spirit gets blown into you. Man, you worship, you're in the word, 
You may even serve. You connect powerfully to the Spirit of God. And then you leave church. And you don't connect for a week or so. And the air comes out pretty quick. Or maybe like you go on a mission trip. And it's like mission trips leave me so filled up spiritually. Like literally serving people in foreign countries. I have never been so full spiritually in my life. I want to reach the whole world. I want to serve the community. I want to give all my money away. I want to take everything I own and give it to people who don't have anything. And by the time you get through passport control, like it is just like, I was full. I was. But now I'm not. So you go back to church on Sunday. God, fill me up. Sing good songs. Sing the songs I know. Hope that Gracia girl sings. She is so good. She fills my spirit. I hope they have the good coffee. The first and third Sunday people make it better than the second and fourth Sunday people. I hope my kid has a great time at church. Somebody prays over me after church. And by the time I get to work on Monday morning, it was weird how close that one stayed to me the whole time, right? Like I felt it. It's talking to you, and it's like it's attacking me right now as we speak. You get the point, right? You know what my job is on Sunday morning for your spirit? To fill it up. Preach the word of God. Stay till every person's been ministered to that needs something. Lead a staff that will love you and develop you. But what you have to do is put some disciplines in your life that come alongside of being filled up on Sunday and say, God, I am going to learn how to walk with Jesus well enough that I don't let the Spirit fall out by every Monday morning. I can't walk away and deflate every Sunday of my life, every mission trip of my life, every youth camp of my life. It's what we do. We're like, but I was so full. Yeah, but you didn't tie the balloon. You got to develop some habits so you can stay full. So that literally is the goal of this series into next year. Inside all of your bulletins, I put this little sheet that I think will help us begin to figure out how to tie the knot. If you're following along on your online app, I think at the very bottom, you should be able to find these two sheets. We'll close with communion today because it's what we do the first Sunday of every month. Maybe during your communion time, you'll focus on this. One side is to evaluate yourself for 2022. The other side is for you to begin to set some 2023 goals. Here's what ties the knot. Here's what keeps the spirit in. Here's what keeps the spirit of God flowing into your life. Daily time with God, spiritual community, prayer and fasting, serving others, generosity. In January and on the first Sunday of February, I'll show you all the scriptures that say these things fill you up with the spirit. But you have to do them on your own enough to stay filled. How'd that go for you in 2022? Did you struggle? Were you faithful? Based on that, what are you going to do in 2023? This will be in the bulletin every Sunday this month. Just evaluate, am I staying full? Or am I running out of air? Because the picture David gives us is your soul is empty until Jesus fills it. But boy, it will empty really quick again if you don't let Jesus continue to fill it. And by the way, if we look at part C of this verse, he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The life of Jesus in us keeps the life of Jesus in the world. 
Here's something our community's trying to figure out. They know they look like this. They're empty, purposeless, trying to figure it out. They know you talk about being filled up, but that usually most days you look like this too. And they're not sure why they should follow your Jesus. See, if the life of Jesus doesn't stay in his people, it'll never live in the world. So it's not just for us that we figure out how to tie the balloon, stay filled with the Spirit. It's for the world who's trying to figure out, how does my, how does my Spirit get full? To see people whose life stays full, to maybe begin to ask us, what do you do different? What do you do different? How do you look like that? How do you stay so full when everyone else is so empty? What's it look like? I know other Christians that go to church, but they, they look like me by Wednesday. What's different? Walk with Jesus by living with the shepherd. As we close our service today, I want to invite our ushers to come forward for our communion time. First Sunday of the month, we, first Sunday of the month, we always take communion at our church. We've begun that the last quarter of the year. Communion is a time where Christians reflect on and remember Jesus. If you're not a Christian today, we'd ask you to abstain from this moment, but to think about what it could mean for you if you would become a Christian. And as our ushers pass communion, there will be three questions on the screen that we just call ref, kind of communion meditations or reflections that you can think on that'll remind you of who Jesus is. I would give you one of two options today during this three-minute period. You might study this sheet and just reflect on your personal walk with Jesus. That would be one way to think about and bring Jesus to the center of your life and heart over this three minutes. You might, if you don't have this sheet or if you want to look at that later because it's too much brain work right, my, right now, you might just use the questions on the screen and let them roll around in your heart. At the end of three minutes, as our ushers finish passing the communion, I'll come back and we'll take it together. And then we'll sing a short little Christmas hymn before we head out into the rest of the month. But let me pray for you before we head into this moment. Jesus, our King and our priest and our shepherd, thank you that you have taken us dirtbags and filled us with life. Help us to learn to walk closely enough to our shepherd that we are daily reanimated, filled, so that the world might see you in us and so that we might experience the green pastures and still waters of our relationship. As we move into this communion time, open our hearts and minds to seek you and find you because we seek you with all our heart. In Jesus' name, amen.